Welcome to the Success Experience Podcast, a podcast where we bridge the gap between ideas and action, a podcast specifically made for entrepreneurs operating at any capacity, ready for more. All right, welcome guys to the Success Experience Podcast. I'm here with Josh and Megan Steinberger. Josh is the CEO of NextGen Restoration, the number one roofing company in the state of Ohio. Besides business, he is also a devoted family man with a wife and three kids. It's a pleasure to have you guys here. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. So it's going to be a little bit about Josh right off the bat, about you know entrepreneurship, how you started. Um, and then I'm kind of going to dive into your guys' marriage and how you guys kind of overcame those obstacles early on. So Josh, this is a question for you. Take us <clears throat> back to your childhood. Where did you grow up and when did your career really start? Wow, I, uh, it's a good question. I don't think I've been asked that one in one of these interviews before. Um, going that far back. So uh, early on in my life, uh, in childhood, I started, I was, I was very into uh, sports. So leadership for me early on came through um, the sport of baseball. I was a catcher. So naturally in that position, in that sport uh, requires you to start to get really comfortable kind of aiming the team and making sure people are taking care of their you know, roles and responsibilities that come into that. Yeah. Um, so it's not really a business, but naturally it starts to get you in that mindset of being able to operate uh, in a way that starts to, to, to put it in perspective for you. Um, moving beyond that, my, my first job, I've only really ever been an entrepreneur in some way, shape or form. Um, early on for me coming out of high school, I only had one or two kind of throwaway jobs and, uh, and then got right into the business that I'm in now. So, um, my first you know, journey into entrepreneurship for me was in construction uh, in a family business uh, that, that had been started with my parents. And though I was not naturally started the business with them, we kind of transformed what the business actually looked like. So initially the business itself was like a commercial construction company that was already there and already established. And um, 2007, 2008 happened and this market contracted all the commercial clients that my, my parents had stopped building. Mm -hmm. And so in that time, I guess I did, I, I guess I had another job. So I had, I started with a door-to-door -door company that sold cable and internet with AT&T mm -hmm. to Kansas city and uh, started over basically new market, new everything picked up, literally made the decision to move across the country in, in about 72 hours. I was asked if I would go, 72 wow. hours later, I made a commitment, and within that first week, we were already packing the U-Haul and moving down. And uh, so that was, I mean, I guess looking back, I didn't really think much out of it. You know, I guess a lot of people would have a really big conversation internally, leaving family, leaving everything that they know. And for me, it just came really natural to just pick up everything and go, you know, new chapter, new journey, let's go and not look back. And uh, it actually ended up working out really well for me. Obviously, I don't sell cable and internet door to door anymore. So, you know, good news there. But that journey for me is where I met my wife. Really? So, you know, up, down, sideways, you know, God's got a plan for all of us. And, and for me, you know, at the time, I wouldn't have known, known all of that. And uh, I'm, I'm just blessed that, that that obviously was something that I was able to do. Uh, Moving ahead then, obviously, so we, we were in Kansas City for 12 to 18 months, about a year, a little over a year, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it was just, just shy of a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I got a phone call from my parents, actually, that said, 
hey, you want to move back to Cleveland here? You know, we have an opportunity for this new restoration thing. A a friend of a friend says that, uh, you know, insurance companies are paying out a boatload of cash for, you know, restoration projects. And, you know, being in Cleveland, it's always windy and blows roofs off every year. Um, We just have no idea how to find and acquire clients. So historically, their business was one that they were writing 200, you know, estimates to commercial clients. And if they were the low bidder or whatever, you know, by just luck of law of average, they would secure projects that way. But uh, in the restoration game, it's more or less finding houses that have direct damage and then going up and talking to those people, essentially door to door, not door to door. So instead of selling a hundred dollar product door to door, we went to selling a 10 to $15,000 product in a revised door to door aspect of it. Wow. That's, that's a significant increase. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely a transition period, especially since I had no training, I had no clue what, you know, the insurance game was none of the, none of the processes that went into that. Um, I was essentially told we got a guy that's done this and he's going to train you. And, And at the end of the day, I was told, uh, to meet with him and uh, and go out. And my meeting with him said, well, go, just go bang on a bunch of doors and find somebody that's got damage that's willing to talk with me. And then once you get an appointment set up, I'll come and meet with you. So <laughs> that actually never ended up happening. And I just fumbled my way through it. I got, I got really blessed that uh, in my hometown, the first two houses that I sold were actually people that went to high school with me. So I got, I didn't know that that's where they lived. I just happened to knock on the door and be like, oh, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. And you didn't have any sort of like prior sales. Well, you did, but it wasn't like to the point where it's like perfect and you're like just crushing it. How was that like journey of like the sales aspect? Was it difficult at first or? I, well, we were very blessed in the aspect of the company that we were trained in. So when I came down to, to Kansas City to sell uh, cable and internet, uh, it was with a company called, a parent company called Sigcor who is one of the top one or two companies in the United States, which I think in the world, they're worldwide, um, in door-to-door uh, solicitation in general. So they work with all, you know, incorporated 100 and 500 clients. So, you know, AT&T is a huge customer. Yeah. So to get, you know, independent licenses to sell their products, you kind of got to know what you're doing. So when they, they had a very rigorous training system in how to go door-to-door, what to say to who, when to say, what to say, how to say it. Um, standards and, and requirements. Which a lot of places that sell, especially low dollar items like that, they throw you out to the wolves and they just turn the door every day, all day long. And either you make it, you make it or you don't. And the guys that make it figure it out on their own. But uh, for us, we were in a company that had very stringent training every day. So when I came back to Ohio, I mean, sales was, has never really been a problem for me. Naturally, talking to you on a podcast here, you probably feel that a little bit. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, I could talk to the, the tree and, and uh, sell it something maybe, but at the end of the day, the rest of the product, you know, the product knowledge was the big thing that I was lacking coming back. So, you know, I had to shoot that one from the hip a little bit. I love that. I love that. Um, Megan, do you have anything to add um, on that? Um, not really. I mean, we worked for the same parent company. It was how we met um, and working through that system it kind of helped me help him build like the sales training aspect for the new company. So that helped us to put together our like training package and um, take like help make it reputable for new people coming in um, to help kind of limit the churning of the door that he was talking about from the parent company 
with like the small dollar items, spending all the time training people on the product knowledge and the, the distance behind all of the insurance work um, takes a lot more time than just saying, hey, here's some cable and internet, which everybody's super familiar with. Right. The insurance process, most people aren't familiar with it. So taking the time to teach our salespeople about that and taking the time to give them the confidence that they needed to become the best salesperson that they could be, um, I think that is what really helped us coming from that same background together. She's being bashful. She did <laughs> all of the administrative every all the systems all the processes all the actual business acumen things it's easy for me to go out and say hey you you need a product and i can give it to you and it's 90 percent off let's go today here's a contract typing the contracts coming up with logos facilitating all of the apparel all of the stuff that you need you know as an implementer so as a coo that you would expect it was and the beauty of this is how we got to that point is that neither of us got out of our lane, right? So this is where I think, and we'll talk more, I think on, on this conversation here is that when you're working with somebody that's as close as you are that you, you, you know, love, and you don't wanna have conversations at home and, and bring everything home and to and from, the only way to actually work that closely together when you have, you care about somebody so much to where you're not gonna like micromanage and step on their toes is to really understand, I'm good at this, you're good at that, and we don't interfere with each other's lane. And if I do, she'll be the first one to say, it's my lane, get the fuck out of it. I love that. <laughs> literally in my last company, um, if Mosmo was on this, he would like obviously agree, but um, we were literally in that exact situation. So I resonate 100%. Um, and I love that you brought that up because a lot of people have to understand that, yeah, micromanaging is very bad, but when you leave it to having the other party do their thing and do what they're best at. That's the best way for an organization to scale and grow. So I love that you touched upon that. Um, so a little bit more about business and then we'll dive into your guys' marriage. Um, both of you can answer this obviously. Uh, this is obviously very free flowing, but what's been the biggest lessons in growing the business and um, how have you kind of tackled those? You go first. Um. I, I think that every business is different. Um, you could act, like, we have tons of competitors in the construction market, but I think that um, what makes our company stand out from others is the way that our culture is. Mm. And so creating, creating the culture, I think is like the most important business tool that anybody could ever do. And the best part is like it's it's free <laughs> like just to yeah. create to create the culture itself is free and it's the best tool in business hands on i agree yes touching base on that for her uh, in that conversation too is that not only is is it free but it's the other side of the coin is it's one of the hardest most um maybe undervalued things that companies have yeah um we are I mean, it's a construction company, right? So as far as that goes, nine out of 10, probably 99 out of 100, to be honest with you, operate very specifically in the mom and pop structure, two or three, four or five people. And it's very just kind of do whatever you want, come and go when you want. As long as you're bringing me money, we don't care. Um, you know, not corporately, systematically. So the business and making it really um, 
you know, a good culture and then kind of keeping that feel and vibe of family, a tight knit, you know, family, when you grow to 70, 80, 90, 100, 150 people that work for you is extremely hard to do. Um, and she has been a rock star with all of that. We've always had this is part coming back to where we, we were brought up at SIGCOR. So, you know, weekly goal meetings and having meetings every day and all the things that most people don't want to have is, you know, smaller company requirements. Um, you know, everybody thinks it's really easy to keep people employed. If you tell them, I'm going to pay you a bunch of money and you just kind of come and go do what you want, work when you want, however you want, et cetera. But when you really care about somebody and you start to put in, in places with, um, more stringent, uh, expectations, and then you start to drive people to those expectations. So it's, it's like kind of a give and take. So the part of the culture that really is the most important that I think people skip over is it's really easy to set targets and say, Hey, you guys have to do this but then not reverse engineer how to do that or exceed that. And then daily make efforts with the team as the owners to yeah. push them into those, those directions, not only uh, in, in the corporate side of things, but also in their personal lives. So everybody at the office basically calls me office mom. <laughs> um, so I, I do sit down with them and we do goal meetings and I don't put just personal or just work goals on their sheets. They have personal goals, business goals, and financial goals that they want to hit. Um, but I will be the first person that puts them in line of like, that's not on your goal sheet. You're moving away from your goals. You're not moving towards your goals. And I, I feel like they probably hate me sometimes, but it's also my job to make them the best person they can be. Um, because we in our circle only want people who want the best for themselves, not somebody who's going to be lazy, so to speak. Exactly. It's almost like a coach because I went to college um, for a semester and I was actually swimming division two and I had a coach and he was very strict and he had high expectations for me. Even when I didn't feel like doing it, he would tell me you have to do this. And, you know, if you don't, you're going to be, you know, as Grant Cardone says, a little bitch. Um, yes. But eventually on the other side, you're going to succeed. So you got to do those things that you don't want to, that you don't feel like it and that get you out of your comfort zone um, that will truly make a difference. So I love that. Um, that that's awesome. <laughs> um, so is that, is that kind of it for that topic? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, even more so that I guess I push a little bit further in that is that the goals aren't, they're not secret. So as, as a, as a group, as a company, as a, as, as the culture, like we were just talking about, the key is, is that to, to build that culture beyond her, me and, and an individual employee, yeah. the way that you grow that to a hundred plus people as a culture is that everyone knows what everyone's goals are. We talk about them you know, privately and so that there's, there's that space, but then we also talk about the, the kind of surface level stuff. So people that want to lose weight. It's a regular thing, easy personal goal, right? I want to drop 10 pounds. This is coming up. We have vacations, things like that. Right. Well, if somebody brings donuts and we see that person specifically there, pick up a donut. Whether or not we're in the room, somebody's calling them out. Hey, <laughs> didn't you just say, you know, yesterday's goal meeting that you wanted to drop 10 pounds? Put the donut down. What are you doing? Those are for the people that, are, that don't have that on their goals, et cetera. And or I'm a little nicer and I'm like, hey, you want to go for a walk? <laughs> No, like <laughs> one way or another. Hey, you gotta you know. work out that donut you just made. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> but the whole the whole team, the entire company is a is a co- company and a culture and, and whatnot. They all look out for each other and making sure that they meet their goals, etc. Um, as a big big picture thing for for us is like one of our our core values as a as a corporation as a company. That's that's one of our core values. Accountability. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so now let's kind of transition into you guys' marriage. So um, kind of what were the challenges? Because, Josh, off off camera, we were discussing this on a phone call. But uh, what challenges while pursuing your goals did you have in your marriage? So kind of explain um, how that was in the beginning and then what you did. And then um, we'll ask Megan uh, a little bit about how that went and then her advice for um you know, wives and friends. <laughs> oh, that was a look. If looks could kill right there. Um, <laughs> I saw it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Totally fine. I deserve it. So in our, our pursuit, so for the last 10 years, we have been, I mean, we've been together 13 years, but and so for the first couple of years, we're, we were babies. And, uh, you know, it was about us and we didn't have anything else going on. And, and it was very easy to date and be very intentional with the time that we spent together um, as boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, fiance, and then quickly, you know, husband and wife my, and father, obviously we both had, uh, one kid from a prior marriage when we first got together. So, um, starting up right square one, we had two kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for when we first got together, it was very easy for us to, to be intentional with our time on, on those things. Mm-hmm. And then about three years in ish, I think, right. Three, four years in, it, we started, you know, entering down that, that pipe of really into committed entrepreneurship. Yeah. And, uh, as we, as we continue to kind of delve into that situation, we started to set more and more goals. It's when I met Grant, you know, or I got lucky. I met Grant before he became Grant. Correct. And, um, and so, you know, he's always had the same, you know, attitude the same same sayings all the same everything he's ever had he's always been that same guy it's just he wasn't well known yet mm-hmm. and so i kind of got an opportunity to get a really tight knit with him when the team was really small to where they spent more one-on-one time with me and us and his, his, his team and his couple and all the things like that and uh, it was really fantastic obviously but it helped me grow at a, like kind of an exponential rate and so we went from like really young kids that didn't really know what was going on in life and where we were going how we were getting there you know was pretty good at making money you know as a young kid making six figures you're like yeah i got it you know prior to making six figures you make 60 grand and you're like man if i just a hundred seems like the number man i would never ever have to want for anything and then you make a hundred you're like wow the government kept 60 of that i made less money um (laughs) so you know then it's always you know 100 becomes we want to get to 200 200 to five you know three four five whatever the number is and then you start to put all these tangible um, physical things in, in your goal life. And so where we had such, I I was blessed as a very young person to have a fantastic early marriage. We got together, we were very young. And as a young couple, I felt, I felt very, very much that our marriage was like the marriage. How old are you guys, by the way? I'm older. I'm 33. No, no, no. When you guys got married. Oh, I was 22. Uh, 23 22 and 23 yeah gotcha. yeah because we we're getting ready to celebrate 11 years so. exactly congratulations thank you uh and so you know being young people of that you have 
all, all of our friends at that time are still single. They're going to the bars and doing all of that in college. We skipped through kind of all of that. We both kind of, we, we both batted in the minors for college. We did a little bit, went a couple of years and we're like, eh, um, wasn't really for us. So as we, as we started ramping up goals and targets and, you know, career opportunities and all the things that come with business uh, and, and entrepreneurship for us, I, I personally at each year, probably 30% of the time that I was focusing on family and life and being home and being where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there and not at a customer's house and, and, and growing the business and doing those things. Yeah. Uh, I, it was probably 20, 30% every year that I, I took off. So for at hundred percent, five years in, I'm at 0% effort going in forward. So, and really on our timeline, that probably is as accurate as it gets. So five and three puts us eight years in the marriage. That would be three years ago. So three years ago, we started essentially over at business wise. Uh, the business that we had grown uh, was a family business early on in our, our relationship. And uh, we had to exit that company because uh, just family drama, all of the things like that. So we couldn't get a proper operating agreement, all the things and their exit strategy. So we kind of got stuck with, do we, do we leave and start over? I mean, we were making five, $600,000 a year. So at that point to leave a very cushy income yeah. and what you could call security and, you know, all of the things that go along with that. And then also have to factor in the potentiality of never speaking to, you know, your parents again, because what's going to happen. We operated the business I mean, yeah. legitimately up, down and sideways. There wasn't any outside influence on that. So to leave that, and start over forty years ago or so. That's that's what we did. Started over, same same business ish, you know, model all the things we built that, that company to what it was from zero on up. And so, you know, in in our short period of time here, we built you know our our company now back up past what they were. We're we're double what they were. But in doing so, obviously, it takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah. And so she was already really good at all the things. So all the administrative stuff that she had already set up, you know, was a lot of transferring things over. So she had a lot of that. And I'm just like, we got to get customers. We have to, we have to get money. We don't have any of these things. We have no security. Took all of our cash that we had and basically invested into this. So I'm in a place where I'm just focused on, we needed the, the business is important. We need to make money. And you know, so I, I did the thing that entrepreneurs do. I put the head down, I get up and I go to work at four in the morning. I come home at eight 30 at night. And, uh, you know, so though she's at the office, most of the time I'm out running around on appointments and I'm not there. And so in my head, I'm seeing, and I see her throughout the day, you know, Hey honey, I love you, but it's two seconds here, two seconds there. And it's work. Yeah. And so I never realized it, it took me, it took me a lot to, to finally realize here recently that, that we were in a place that we were, we got in such a deep rat race that at the end of the day, I come home and I would, I'd literally, she'd have dinner for me. I would, I'd walk in the door kiss the kids goodnight and I can get in bed and eat my dinner in my lap. And half the time I would, I would eat all that. I fall asleep literally eating my dinner. And I get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to the next day and go back to work. And it, it wasn't something that I personally internally, like in my own world, I didn't feel burnt out. I could do it probably for years and years and years on end as a person internally. But when you step back and you look at all the things that I was giving up, I was working to work. We made a lot of money. We have Lamborghini, we have houses all over. We have, you know, on the outside surface looking in, we have everything that's really cool. But I personally was a slave to the business. And 
Yeah. And in, in being that, you know, my, our goals and, you know, we sit down, we talk about goals all the time. Our goals is like, you know, we kept putting the carrot out there. When we get to this point, we're going to do that. When we get to this point, we're going to move back to Kansas city and we're going to shut down the businesses or our day to day. And, and we'll have arrived. Well, the lifestyle that we wanted to achieve, we achieved two years ago. So yeah. what we, what ended up happening is instead of achieving the lifestyle we wanted and then backing out and, you know, collecting checks and, and mailbox money, as we call it, so that we could have the life that we wanted to live. What ended up happening was we kept putting the carrot further out there with bigger, more tangible things. Yeah. And you, then you add the Lamborghini and you add another house and you had a vacation house. And then you're like, okay, we want to range and we want another BMW and the kids want to go to private school and all of the things that go along with those things obviously continue to cost more money and having to cost more money means that I got to go to work more. And so then I would just continue to set the alarm half an hour earlier every day and find a way to go work another hour, another hour until eventually I would just never go to sleep. I don't know. But we finally got to a point where internally between us as a family and as a couple and as, as husband and wife, um, we, it, it didn't, it didn't work. I mean, you go three, four years spending zero intentional time we would go on dates and it would, we talk about profit and losses on jobs. We would go on dates and talk about all the company stuff that we spent all day talking about or not necessarily talking about, but information that we both independently had. And, you know, when you go back and, you know, retrospectively look back at over the years and you start thinking like, wow, every conversation we had was that way. And we're 33 years old, 34 years old. You're like, what are we doing? And, um, you know, from, from the day that we moved to Ohio, very, very shortly thereafter, we had always said we love Kansas City more than like anything. Kansas City, if you haven't been here, if anybody that's listening to this has not ever been to Kansas City, you need to come to Kansas City because it's not. It's not like the plains and there's nothing here and it's in the middle of nowhere. Like Kansas City literally as a city is the shit. And, um, you know, so we were always like, well, when we get money and we have an ability financially to not, not take, you know, five steps back in being able to move ahead to, to where we want to be. Um, you know, that was what our, our plan was. And it, it took, it took her essentially leaving me and taking the kids to go on a vacation that she essentially had no intentions on coming back from in order for me to realize all of that. Wow. That's, that's an insane story. So now, I guess it's going to be the transition point where Megan takes over. <laughs> Megan, what was the next steps? What, what happened there? When I left? Yeah. Um, I was pretty much just over, I guess, like, putting on a happy face. Like, I mean, yes, we had, like, all of this stuff, but my kids would ask, like, when can daddy come over? And I'd be like, he still lives here so he'll come home eventually but like they didn't view it like that it was just like hey when can dad come over so we can like see him or that post on Facebook so that was actually a Facebook post a few years ago and a text message I got and when I got that it initially was like funny to me like I was proud of it and that's really fucked up to think about in the in the moment in the time I was like proud of that like damn like I must be doing something right if I'm not around enough with the kids and I'm being a good enough role model looking back once all this happened and I had a chance to like digest everything Facebook does that thing where it tells you you know on this day however many years ago and when that came up I spent like four hours in a corner like huddled in a in a ball like I am the biggest piece of shit I can't believe that that 
I was pr a proud of that, but b let it ever get to that point. Right. Um. So I I guess I just got kind of tired of like I'm from Kansas originally, and I'm used to like the slower pace like farm life. So I knew getting into a relationship with him that all that was about to go, which was okay. And I was, I was okay with that because he had always said, we're moving back to Kansas City. It's a five-year plan. And then it was a 10-year plan. And now we're at 13 years. And I finally was like, I'm out. You know where, I'm, you know where I'll be. I'll be in Kansas with my family. And uh, that, was, that was it. That's wow. So how did you guys tackle that? What was, uh, um, how did you guys, well, really Josh, how did you um, fix all that? <laughs> um, Big question, but. So this is, so that, no, it's good, man. I mean, this is, this is a conversation that there are so many couples in that work together because small businesses are typically started and operated by initially anyway, a husband and a wife, right? some way, shape or form, even if the wife isn't integrally, uh, she is as part of the business itself, some way, shape or form, they're, they're, they're tandemly stuck together with the stresses that go on to starting a business. So navigating that, this is going to become our, our gift back because we're so blessed that I'm not 61 years old being Sean Whalen about how I built this business, I threw away all this money and I lost my family and my kids and everything over it. Because right. so often we hear regularly that there, there's two different types of successful guy. There, you got the, the, the person who built this huge empire, has all this money and all these things, wife and kids left him, and he regrets everything, says every day, he would give everything up in order to have them back. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other side of the coin where they stay together and everything is fantastic. And usually that's rooted uh, more in like a face-faith marriage, which we hadn't had for a long time. And to be honest with you, that's what's, what's brought me full circle in all of this is, uh, is finding my faith in God. Um, but outside of that, uh, the conversation, how did I get her back? I don't think she expected me to get her back. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. There was pretty much 0% chance. I think that she thought, cause she, had, when she left and I'll let her speak on this, um, she thought essentially I was married to the business. And so mm -hmm. the life that we had created required me to devote intentionality with my time to all day, every day be in business. And so you are, the things you care about most are generally the things that you spend most time on and you're intentional. So if all my time and energy was spent doing one specific thing and being part of one specific thing, that's really who, who I had a wedding ring on. And it was our baby, of course. And so. Not, I'm not saying that like for any of your listeners or whatever, that there's not a period of sacrifice because mm -hmm. There's absolutely a period of sacrifice, but we, right. we sacrificed for 11 years before I finally was like, we don't have to sacrifice. And I am in the business. So I was able to, like, it would be, he would say, oh, we need to hire this person. And then I can back off. So we hire that person. And then he'd be like, he'd find something else to do in the business. And I'd be like, okay, well now we need to hire somebody to do that. And then this, and then this, and we essentially have like this amazing, huge work family, but then he would just still feel the need to like micromanage and be in that. And I'm like, no, really like you could totally be home every day at six o'clock for dinner. Like I'm not asking you to quit work completely 
just you can totally you're totally capable of being home all, all I required what was it two nights a week she said that two I nights asked a week. you to be home <laughs> there we go yeah and he wasn't even doing it and I was just I was yeah. knowing what I know now and I she didn't give me this information. This is the only reason that this is going to work. So it's the same thing for the listeners and people that are experiencing marital problems and parts pieces that have, are, are circulative about the, the time that's spent and focus on, on your family. She made comments like that. It would be in one ear, out the other ear. I didn't even hear it. And so until she left and I had a, an ability, you know, my first words, like I'm coming back, I'm following her to Kansas City to try to like, save everything because I was, I'm that guy that if I would have lost it all, I'd be the guy who was like, I'll, I'd burn it to the ground tomorrow to have my wife and my kids back. Right. And so, you know, I, obviously my words, my, all I was vomiting out of my mouth was like, what did I do? What did I do? Tell me what I did. And she literally would just like stare off blankly and be like, I'm not telling you shit uh, for a while, like a long time until I personally, like I came to her and was like, I think I know what I did wrong. I've had a lot of time to think about all the things that, that, that we've had in the last years and things like that. And it all literally stemmed down to kind of like she just said, what it wasn't that I wasn't there for dinners and things like that. Mm -hmm. It was the intentionality. I made a commitment to be there at, at five 30 and I'm not home until seven o'clock. Well, why? Cause a customer came up and that's important. I need to go take care of the customer thing that came up and, and run the appointment. Well, I could have easily called told that customer we're closed. I'm sorry. I have other obligations. I'll be there. What other day was no problem. I just historically was like, I'll go take care of it because I can take care of it. Um, but every customer, I've never been late to a client meeting ever in my life. She knows unfallibly that if I have a, a meeting set at six o'clock, I'll be there at 558 at the latest. doesn't matter if there's traffic or not. I'll have planned ahead for that. And so when I make a commitment to her to be somewhere at 630, 7 o'clock, 5 o'clock, we have a lunch that's at, you know, we're heavily in like the Chamber of Commerce and a lot of charity stuff. So there would be times where we'd have a charity lunch or a dinner or something like that. And I would end up going to a client meeting instead of just sending her a message like, Hey, you know, hold down the fort. I know that you're capable of handling this without me, which she totally is. But it technically was like a date. It was a midday break date for us to spend time together specifically and still get a little bit of a benefit to the business. And I wasn't able to be there two minutes prior to the time that I personally made a commitment to be there for her, for the marriage, for us, for our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so when you stop making things a priority, then the things that you do make a priority become the things that you're married to. And so when you start to look at it like that, you really start to break down like marriage is really not hard. It's a really simple thing to do and do well, but it's very, very easy to take for granted. True. And so many people just, you fall into the routine of life and the day and just, it, it starts to happen. And, um, and it, it, it's so important to be intentional and make sure that the priorities of the things that you're spending your time with, you really focus on like the little things. It's, it's, it, it's not big gestures. I don't have to buy her a new car every week and take her on lavish vacations every day. She can give a shit less about that. Like that specifically doesn't matter. What, what brought us to this was that I couldn't make it home to dinner at six 30, not three in the afternoon, but I couldn't make it home by 6.30 to dinner. My office is in 10 minutes, a mile and a half from our house. Like we, right. we started our relationship before either of us had two pennies to rub together. So right, like yeah. I, I was never in it for that. Like I was in the marriage because I cared about him. Of course. And like he seemed to forget that. Yeah. Of course, yeah. And from just like a third party um perspective in hindsight 
it looks like Megan, you, you made a really good decision because it forced Josh to be in an uncomfortable spot where that pain created him to change. And I feel like that's obviously maybe it was conscious that you did that, or maybe it was unconscious, but either way it was a very smart move because it built you guys up together. Um, and you guys came out thriving in the end. So I love that story. Um, Megan, this is an exclusive question for you. What advice would you give wives or girlfriends that are going through something where their boyfriend or husband is just always dedicated to the work and, and kind of like married to the game, so to say, um, what kind of advice would you give to them? Um, so as women, we tend to lean on like the more emotional side of things where men look at things more logically. Yeah. Um, it's just how we're built. And so for me, like I have to consciously make a decision and if he does something that agitates me, which I promise is at least 10 times a day, <laughs> at least. <laughs> I have to consciously like, make the decision of, is he doing this to intentionally irritate me? Or is it, how can I look at this a different way to where I can maybe see it the way he's thinking it? Or um, just kind of just really having the patience and like a toddler choose choose your battles. Like you don't want to you don't want to start a fight over something stupid. Like I'm not the girl where it's like, oh, where do you want to eat? Where do you want to eat? I don't know how. To, I don't want to eat that. Like I'm not. I, I'm like I'm not petty like that. Like don't yeah. don't do the petty little arguments. Kind of pick your battles. And obviously, the biggest fight we've ever had was when I picked up and was like deuces. Going to Kansas. If you want to see your kids? You'll follow me. Right. Um, so I don't. I and I waited ten years to have that to before I had that battle. Like I, I'm very patient and I'm very understanding and growing a business. You're gonna have to be whether or not the woman is in, involved in the business like I am or not. She's still involved because she's married to the person who is the business. So just being really, really patient and learning where you really need to have your boundaries and making sure that you have those conversations. Even though I had the conversations with him, like he said, he just didn't hear it. So just, but making sure that you have the conversations and you set the boundaries and you're very clear on, you have a dinner tonight at six o'clock and you have to be there or right. it has a band concert tonight at seven o'clock and you have to be there. Um, so just kind of making those boundaries very well known and being very honest and forthcoming and straightforward because they do have a lot going on in their minds. And so generally like the things that are there the most often you just don't think about like when you go to the bathroom, you just expect there to be toilet paper. You don't even think about it. Right. Unless you're in a pandemic. And there's <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so this is kind of a question for both you guys. Um, what would you classify as three virtues for a relationship for it to be uh, really just like smooth sailing in your guys' eyes? Communication. Hands down, number one. Mm -hmm. Communication, number one. Um, her, her grandma and grandpa are the, the sweetest people in the world. And, um, they just celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary. And when we first started going through our situation with all of this, I, uh, 
they're in the, in the dark on all that anyway. But the I, I we just reached out. I asked them. We were out there for lunch one day. I said, "How is it that you guys together have survived all of the things that you have in life?" Right. <laughs> And uh, for 65 years, because the, the, that's, that's, that's obviously the goal, right? Is to, to grow and be married for, you know, forever. And, uh, and her grandma looked at us, she goes, absolutely a lot of patience. <laughs> she looks over at my grandpa, who doesn't hear well anymore, and she goes, a whole hell of a lot of patience. <laughs> and he goes, what? And she's like, see, he can't even hear me. <laughs> it was awesome. That's great. So, I was expecting a more drawn out information, you know, informational like story. And she's just like, patience, hundred <laughs> percent. Communication, patience, and I'm a I'm a hang a left turn on this one. I think you got you got another one. You think? Um. Well, in our case, I would say that our faith plays a a large role true. in that. True, true, true. Um, but I know that you know everybody has different beliefs and everything. So I would find hey, something so, that something you commonly believe other. in yes. and yeah. build it off of that. Those are me three. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you like a bonus fourth that I think is, is very close to the same same thing. So okay. so yeah. Communication, patience, and then a commonality of something bigger than your guys' relationship together. Uh-huh. And then fourth is going to be sex. Attraction. It's not even attraction. It's just the effort in not becoming stale in the relationship. Mm. Just like everything else requires intentionality. And so when you're talking, you know, it's, it's real easy to do those things when it's super fun and, and exciting in the first couple of years of marriage. But when you start getting a seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, uh, I think it's really easy to get lackadaisical in that aspect and kind of just kind of go through the motions and being intentional with keeping it spicy and doing things like that, I think is a huge thing for keeping the the marriage exciting. Um, because, you know, in order to be sexually attracted to somebody, things like that, you also need to make sure that you don't let yourself go. Yeah. Um, I, I was like Steve Jobs, but, you know, up until we, she left, I wore the same, same exact outfit seven days a week, 364 days a year. I had my work polo on. I had, a, I had literally a stack, like 20 pairs of stretchy black Lee Dungaree kind of work, black work pants, right? I had the same pair of shoes that she would order 10 pairs at a time because I'd blow through them. They were a pair of black Skechers. Literally, that was what I wore every day. It didn't matter what it was. We would go to family events. I'd come home from work. We would go to dinner, and that's what I meant. Um, you know, the, the rarity was, you know, we would end up at a Christmas something or somewhere else where I would naturally change into a different outfit for that, but not separating the workspace to make sure that we had, Hey, we're, this is us time. We're, we're going out. We'd still date all the time. There, there's photos of us, tons of time that we go on dates to dinner where we talk about all the work stuff. I'm still in my work, my, my day-to-day Steve Jobs work outfit. Um, you know, and so, you know, it's kind of disgusting to think about that looking back, but you know, you kind of, it's common to get in this thing as, as a husband and a wife to just kind of like let yourself go, even if you don't get to the dad bod side of it, but spending time to like, I didn't, I didn't do my hair. My hair was never done. And I have like an Amish bowl cut when I'm not like styled. And so our son's banging on the door. And so at the end of the day for, you know, for me, you know, what does that do for this? I have a absolutely beautiful smoking hot wife that's spending all this time to make sure she's done every day. And she's got three hours worth of you know, pairing and makeup and straightening and doing all the things that she has to do to do it. 
no, she goes, she's actually pretty quick at it. But, you know, comparatively <laughs> speaking to, you know, me, it takes eight seconds to throw some stuff in my hair and spray a, a spritz of cologne and walk out the door. Um, making that effort to stay within that space, we, we call it self-care Sunday. So we do like a facial on Sunday together now. And, you know, I aged badly throughout all of this. So I'm starting to fix my skin and things like that. But I started to get really wrinkly and like all of the bad things in your 30s that you're not supposed to be. And she started talking shit. It was, it's, it's not bad yet. But when I hit 40, I was going to look like you joke. Uh, what's his name? Clint Eastwood. Like legitimately oh, a full no. Clint Eastwood problem. Oh, no. So, so being know. honest, I guess, is another virtue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? <laughs> but but yeah, so your fourth bonus is like, don't let yourself go and, and do the things that you did when you started dating to to pursue each other in the first place. Because people, that's the part that people give up in their, their marriage. And that's the part that becomes so stale that two, three years down the line, they're like, why are we even together anymore? Like, you don't even like come back, like want to date me anymore. We're just going through the motions. It's fake. I love that. I really love that guys. Um, just because it's going to be ending soon. Uh, one final question for you guys. If you could define success to you, what would that be? From both um, I, I really think that it's capable to have it all. Like we have, we make money while we sleep. So we don't need, you're capable of working to a point where you don't have to work anymore. And you can do that quickly if you get yourself around the right circle of people. Mm. Um, but I also feel like if you, if you feel like you're not capable of doing that, then just make sure that you have a balance of a work and a personal life to make sure that even though they do intertwine regularly to just make sure that you're giving enough attention to both sides of the fence so that you don't end up with one and not the other. Growing on that, everybody's definition of success is going to be different. So not all of them are just going to be financial driven. Not all of them are going to be, you know, some people want to live in a tiny home that costs $2,000 to live a year and not have a job and do odd jobs to live there. And if that's success to them, fantastic. Um, but obviously in order to know that you have to have a period of introspective conversations with yourself in order to really find that. And so for me, success really is an individualized thing that changes daily. Um, and so being very specific to take the time and you call it meditation, whatever you want to call it and, and have personal self time to make sure that you're still going down your path and, or our path and, and having that conversation together and communication to be, where are we going? Why are we going there? Is this where we want to be? And, and if it's changing, then keeping, keeping our daily actions intentional to keeping on the path that we define as what we would call our grant would call our ideal scene. Right. So identifying what your ideal scene is and then making sure that you're making every effort daily in that trajectory. Beautiful. I love that guys. Thank you so much, Josh and Megan Steinberger. Um, where can we find you on social? Where can our viewers find you on Instagram and uh, Facebook? Uh, my Instagram is at the Megan Steinberger and Mine's just at Josh Steinberger. Josh Steinberger. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again. I hope you have a great day and we'll speak to you soon.
Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it, brother.